Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Step Zero podcast. This is Matteo speaking. I'm here with a special guest, and uh, this, is, uh, this is an episode that is particularly close to my heart and to my interests. Um, Emily is, uh, is our guest today. She, you know, I came across her, her profile while uh, following this uh, design thinking course with uh, IDEO. She was my teaching lead. And uh, we share a lot of interest around design thinking. She's obviously an expert. She's a design thinking consultant. And, uh, you know, other than an exceptional person. And we decided to bring her on board to uh, discuss a bit more about her own experience with, uh, with mental health, what it means to her, as well as try to combine mental health with design thinking and, uh, and see if we can get more people close to the topic of design thinking and mental health. And uh, with this being said, Emily, the stage is yours. Like I would ask you to introduce yourself to the audience and tell us a bit more about yourself and your background. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for having me, Dora and Matteo. Um, I think this is a super important topic that isn't talked about as much, um, especially in the context of design thinking. So I thought that frame initially was really cool um, when you guys reached out. Um, as far as my background, I have um, a lot of different experience cross industry. Um, but I think the commonality has always been people are at the middle of my interests. Mm -hmm. um, I'm super interested in trying to unpack the, the drivers and the motivations that people have, how people make decisions, why they make decisions the way they do. Um, and I think that curiosity is intrinsically connected to design thinking. So when you scale that thought, and try to unpack, well, what is at the core of all businesses, of all um, organizations? It's the people, it's the moments, it's the connections that we all build and create with one another. Um, and the, the individual's um, mental health really is at the heart of that. So I think as far as um, my own personal journey, all of our personal journeys with mental health, um, the piece that I try to remember is that everybody is so deeply unique and has a very individualized path and journey. No two journeys are the same. Um, so as we talk about um, roadmaps and strategies and tactics, whether that's at the individual level or the organizational level, realizing that each moment and each system is uniquely its own ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's a great way to put it. Like, like I said, you know, before we hit recording, you are extremely well-spoken. So I was expecting you to kind of like elaborate very well on, on certain topics. Um, would you mind me asking uh, to share a bit more, you know, about um, your own personal experience with, with mental health? Obviously, you know, it's great that you find this close connection and that we kind of like share this interest, you know, in between mental health and design thinking. I know that you're specifically open about the topic of mental health, which is something that obviously we're grateful for, but it's also something that we don't take for granted because a lot of, lot of people have a very hard time opening up. And, uh, and, and you know, design thinking, like you said, is, is about curiosity, is about uh, somehow exploration, correct me if I'm wrong. And, uh, and that's why I think design thinking is, and, and mental health are very uh, kind of 
grounded, right, together. Um, would you mind kind of sharing with us, with the audience, like, why is mental health such a, uh, a big thing for you? And uh, eventually, why did you accept, you know, to come on board with, uh, with Step Zero? Mm. Yeah, I love even how you framed that question. It, it made me think about um, my own core values and openness, play, freedom. Those are all pieces of my personality. Um, so I'm always excited to talk about mental health um, and my own journey with it. As far as um, that, that journey for me, I used to play competitive soccer or football as my European friends will call it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm 30 now. And in the past 15 years, I've had nine, nine knee surgeries and ankle reconstruction, broken back, broken arms, uh, multiple concussions. Um, and I think 15 years later, I finally realized this deep, intrinsic connection between physical well-being and mental well-being and when I was a 16 17 year old navigating this deeply physical trauma having to go under anesthesia and then rehab while all of my friends were out on the soccer field um, that really took a toll and I didn't understand it I, I didn't have the toolbox or even the words the terminologies to safely talk about that and navigate it and I think when you're trying to navigate mental health like depression or anxiety and you don't you don't even know why it's happening to you that can be an incredibly debilitating experience mm -hmm. um and so i think as i learned to navigate that as i got older um my surgeries specifically for my knees the frequency with which i was having them in um, the frequency decreased so when i was in high school, I might have a surgery every year. And then as I got older and I re-injured my knees, it was every five years or every six years. So it made this like cyclical loop that as I was developing and growing as a human, all of a sudden I would have to revisit this trauma. And all of a sudden I was a 17 year old again and not knowing why these flashes of like, deep sadness and deep depression were triggering me so deeply and it was really only in my mid 20s late 20s that i realized how deeply and intimately connected physical trauma can be with mental health and learning how to recognize those patterns learning how to um, spot those moments and how to to reframe them and realize I can work through this just as I've had so many times and realizing that that physical pain does not make me that 17 year old kid again. And I think that took a lot of mental work and a, a lot of openness and transparency. Um, <clears throat> so when you guys asked me initially to, to come on here and talk about mental health, the initial frame uh, was around design thinking. And I think what you, you said earlier in how openness is often integral with design thinking. I think that just pairs so well um, with mental health. And I think there's a lot of crossover between design thinking and mental health that hasn't actually been, been tapped yet. So really excited what you guys are doing. 
first of all, thank you. And uh, let me say that I can sort of understand where you come from. Like I've been playing, you know, competitive football for the last maybe, you know, over 20 years. Uh, I never had the surgery myself, so I can only imagine how, you know, traumatic, how annoying it can be. Uh, you know, like Dora knows, like I, when I, when I start the football season, it's, it's, it's just about the football season. I cannot talk about anything else. I cannot hear anyone else, you know, and I'm very focused on my training. And if I were to undergo a surgery, especially like knee surgery or, you know, broken back or, you know, those things that you mentioned, like I, you know, I would be, I would be going through a very dark phase myself. Right. So I, I really understand where you're coming from. I appreciate the opening up on that because it's, it's, uh, you know, coming from competitive uh, sport environment or sport background myself like that's that's something that it's never really discussed much and I like that you touched on the connection between physical health and mental health because that is also what we are trying to do sort of in you know with step zero because like physical health is usually visible and uh, and it's very discussed um, mental health not so much right mental health like you can you know, people look at me and look at people like me and look at uh, people like us who can be like very competitive on the football field, but they don't really realize that outside of their broken back or broken ankles or, or knee surgeries, there's a lot more depth to it and they might be going through a very, very difficult period, either related to their surgery or, or you know, personal issues or anything like that. So I think the connection between physical health and mental health is something that is extremely extremely important so thank you for bringing it up like we we actually didn't have the chance to touch much on this topic before in our podcast so you know this is a first and it's it's awesome that you that you came up with this um i think to, to that last point that you just made a moment ago around being at the top the most competitive mm -hmm. in any arena mm -hmm. For me, I think that is what I've observed as when this breakdown can occur because the, the context that we're talking about is football, right? In that consuming you, that being your world, Dora knows the only thing we talk about in this house is football when season is a go. And I think it's the same thing from an organizational perspective in when you get so stuck in and deeply entrenched in a thing, in anything any one thing, whatever that is, um, whether that is a hobby or pushing yourself to your physical limits or within your work, without that level of balance and flexibility, um, we're prone to injury, whether that's physical or mental injury. And I think when you can employ tactics of design thinking, of bringing play into the workplace or your own mental patterns, the play helps you cut through the framework and the rigidity and the chatter, the, what you think you're supposed to be doing, whether if that's your own goals or whether that's organizational goals, the, the play, the silliness helps cut through that and allow you a moment of reframe and the, the time, the space to radically redesign whatever system it is that you feel like you're caught in. Um, and, and I think that applying that type of methodology to systems design is critical. Well, you made my job very easy because you made the perfect connection between, you know, like 
the, the sports area and the physical arena, so to speak, and the, and the work occupational environment. Um, so let me ask you, you know, like I, I have a, let's say, a fair idea of what design thinking is. I'm, I'm nowhere, you know, uh, close to be an expert, but you are, and, uh, and you've been working into the field of design thinking for quite a while, and, and you're, you're consulting into design thinking, you're part of IDEO, you know, like so. Um, for those people who don't have a clear idea of, you know, design thinking and what design thinking is, how would you, how would you describe design thinking? Is it, is it the methodology? Is it, you know, when, when I think of, or when I used to think of design, it was mostly something related to probably graphic design or something purely aesthetical, right? Like is, is design thinking something like that is completely different? That's a great question. And when you, when you think about someone who identifies as a designer from a persona, from an archetype perspective, how, how would you describe a visual designer like you're describing? I would say a visual designer is somebody who has, well, probably like a very good taste for aesthetics and for putting elements together. And, you know, they say, they say good design is, is the design that you don't really notice, right? So if uh, if there's if there's uh, like uh, if the, if you don't feel that there is, you know, um, a very visible design, it means that most likely a designer did a good job, right? So I think a designer is somebody who's really good at putting elements together and blending them in a very harmonic way. I love that. So take your definition and then scale that to anything. Mm-hmm. Right. We, I love how you talked about the like the invisibility of design in some sense. So from an experience design perspective, if something just intrinsically feels good or there's psychological safety from an organizational perspective um, that we sometimes take for granted, that can be a great indicator that this structure, this system is set up really, really well. Um, so when I think of design thinking, I think of translating what you just said around visual design and applying that to folks who are not trained visual designers, but distilling that into more of a, a methodology, a systems thinking perspective to, to help people do what they intrinsically know how to do as children. And when we think about design thinking, it's this, hyper iterative process to fail as quickly as we can and try and experiment to make it better the next time to prototype um to be natural observers to to run these quick iterative experiments um whether we're talking about product design service design experience design um actual research, whatever field it is we're talking about, especially in org design or business and strategy design. Often when we look to children, they know how to do this methodology really, really well. And we have to reteach it to adults because we, we learn over time not to take risks not to try something new, not to think radically, and to color between the lines without pulling together from disparate lenses or themes or experiences across industry. Um, And when we're able to make those connections and 
navigate the process of creation through the three different key lenses, viability, um, feasibility, and desirability, that's when, we, that's when we think that whatever it is that we've created is the overlap of those three things. And at the central, um, the central overlap lies um, really the, like the most um, desirable, feasible, viable type of experience or product or service. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you have a, an amazing way of explaining things, let me tell you. Like that's, I, I don't think it's a uh, you know, random thing that you're um, you a teaching lead. Um, so I, I'm, I'm actually blown away by your, by your explanation. I was taking notes. Um, I, you know, I, I have notes all over the paper. You know, there's viability, feasibility, and desirability, and, and, the, and the point where they, where they come together. I particularly liked when you when you mention you know kids and uh, and the play factor and being playful at work because that's probably to me that to me that's that's probably the part that best explains how to get away from that rigidity at work right uh, which is not just in corporate environments it's you see it in startups you know like a lot of a lot of startups like even here in Berlin they want to move fast, but at the same time, they kind of have this, uh, I would say, legacy uh, operational environment, something that is stuck in the past, and they try to move fast, but they don't know how. And, and, uh, and the playful component is something that would really, really uh, change people's view on things. And the same goes for the way you spoke about observation, right? Like observation, that's something that blew me away particularly when i was following the design thinking courses observing can you know feel like something very basic right people can think of observing like okay i don't really need a course in observation but that's where that's what people don't realize that observing is about objectively looking at things and maybe taking notes but not judging right and i can barely recall any meeting where you know in any work environment where people sit through and don't either you know interrupt each other or don't really uh kind of like try not to express their opinion at all costs right and i think design thinking brings all of that uh perfect cooperation between that harmonic you know kind of blending that i was talking about before um where people can cooperate and uh, and are actually encouraged to to fail fast right like they're encouraged to to make mistakes and not have uh, necessarily a perfect product or a perfect solution at all times. In fact, it's it's almost wrong uh, according to design thinking. Am I am I elaborating it correctly or? Absolutely, especially from the lens of of psychological safety and taking risks. Um, the silliness that we're talking about, the play that we're talking about throughout these design thinking moments. Um, when I was uh, working in consulting, um, a lot of my clients were in the Mideast and Southeast Asia. And as we would begin these consulting engagements, we would always spend time to do icebreakers. And icebreakers sometimes really feel like either a waste of time or non-applicable to what it is you're talking about. And when icebreakers are done well with a high, high level of intentionality, the goal is to build human to human connection and safety so that agnostic on your level within an organization, you feel empowered to 
say your piece in a public forum um, in a safe setting. And so I think building, um, building that level of connectivity, whether or not it feels um, tertiary is incredibly important. Um, and then what you were talking about with observation deeply resonated and made me think of, of a story. Um, my dad was coming to visit me. Um, I took him on a hike out in the mountains and we'd been walking all day and uh, we were in this big, big pine forest and he stopped to look at a tree and was examining the bark and the moss. And we got to talking about the forest in general. And he said something to the extent of um, Aristotle talked a lot about the power of observation when you're in a forest. And sometimes you only see the forest as a macro system. And we forget to stop and take a moment to look deeply into whatever context that we're in at that time, whether it's the ants or the decomposing leaves. And similarly, when you're in an organization, whether you're in a meeting or uh, a workshop, being able to understand the health and the pulse of the entire ecosystem is equally as important as to understanding why someone in the back of the room isn't speaking or what is a, a relationship or a power dynamic look like between two key stakeholders in the room and how do you run defense between potentially conf conflicts of interest um, to be able to define the team strategy or the org strategy from there. Oh, that's, that's amazing. Like I, you know, I, I knew you were good, but you made like, you make so many perfect connections and I, I need to be very focused, I'll be honest, to kind of like catch all of them. I, I, you're amazing. Um, you can thank my dad for that anecdote. <laughs> I, I definitely, I definitely thank your dad. Like, no, I mean, this is, this is awesome. Like, I, like, first of all, you made, like, I think the most, like the clearest and the most genuine and natural connection between design thinking and and mental health right you, you speak about uh you know like uh, uh balance uh balance at work and uh and uh sort of like you know human to human connection and and this is not you know i i realize that it's not that obvious you know like like i said like people think of design like something purely um you know graphical or aesthetical like design thinking it's more of a i guess you know a way of thinking that puts uh, often puts people at the at the center and uh, and uh, I guess this leads me to another question if you don't mind and that is why do you think and or actually let's say is it the case that you know it is it is very hard to to bring people on board let's say leaders onto the idea of design thinking like because the way you explain it to me it's it's fairly obvious that design thinking is uh, a very necessary practice for any organization in any category in any vertical in any business right do you see leaders kind of opposing the idea or being skeptical about the idea of design thinking that's such a good question and i think is at the crux uh, of issues for a lot of organizations i think often at least from what i have seen um designed thinking when championed can be really effective. And if you can find executive level leadership and buy-in and sponsorship, it will be easier to scale, whether you're talking about um, full organizational rollout or 
team level. And I think that if you don't have that executive level buy-in, it can be challenging. And in those contexts and from my own experience, I have begun to implement design thinking methodologies at the team level, at more of a grassroots perspective to begin to build the case study for the efficacy of it. And then you can slowly begin to scale it. Um, the other moments I've seen it perform really well without a lot of knowledge behind the process is if you're able to run some type of design thinking based workshop or strategy meeting um, that kind of covertly brings in design thinking methodologies to the room without calling it as such mm -hmm. um, can often be really effective. And then after in your debrief, pulling in those tenants and terminology uh, components and exposing your stakeholders to design thinking. Um, and I also think it's important to acknowledge that in a lot of industries, a lot of circles, design thinking as a phrase is becoming pretty buzzwordy. And often people associate design thinking with a ton of sticky notes. <laughs> and, and those are important stereotypes to break um, because inevitably as humans, we like to distill things and sense make. And it's easier for us to say, okay, design thinking is just uh, an icebreaker with a lot of sticky notes. And being able to bash that myth and, and invite people along in a safe way is paramount. So I thought that was a really good question and one that's not a simple answer. Well, thank you. And I thought it was a really good answer, actually. And, and I, you know, I agree with the, with the sticky notes part. Like my, our house is full of sticky notes. So we, we make good use of it, I swear. Like, but, uh, but it's true that uh, with, you know, I, I did speak to, to, some, to some former colleagues and, uh, and, and leaders in the, in the ad tech space because you know, my background is mostly into, in, in ad tech. And, and um, those leaders who, who think of design thinking or think of you know, organizational design, in, uh, strictly speaking, they do think of post-it notes. And, mm -hmm. uh, and they kind of like, you know, the, the first association, association that they always make is kind of like, you know, do we need, do we need a design thinking consultant? Uh, oh, is, is that, you know, is that the guy who comes in and, and works with sticky notes? Um, no, thank you. You know, like that's kind of the association that, that people make and they kind of, they pick on the, on the, I guess the fun the, and, the, and the play part of design thinking, but they take it as silliness because they don't see the depth behind it, right? And, and that's, that's probably the, the issue for, for consultants who have the best ideas in mind and they can actually make a difference in the workplace for you know mental health and people well-being uh, but like you said they they lack that that buy-in from from leaders and so you know I, I think your explanation was was phenomenal and I'm really happy I asked you that question actually um, what what would you say like what's the connection then or how do you do you uh, move on to let's say from design thinking to organizational design because the two things are very related right and and we we spoke before this conversation we spoke about the the idea that organizational design needs to have people at the center of it right because organizations when designing themselves or redesigning themselves uh, need to have you know people at their core at their focus like is this something that starts with design thinking are the two things very related and you know are, are we talking about the same thing or it's or it's more of a let's say an evolution from design thinking 
That's such a good question. And I like how you framed it around people are at the center, right? And when we think about design thinking, often you'll hear another phrase thrown around called human-centered design. Mm -hmm. And that phrase is so applicable in the context um, of organizational and systems design. Um, when we think about org design, we're trying to, we're serving business needs, right? And key metrics, key OKRs with people at the middle. And ultimately the goal is to support our, our people, our team in doing their best work, which ultimately will drive business results. And I think, you know, I talked about a grassroots perspective. It can be challenging to create an organizational system from the ground up. Often you need that executive level vision and strategy and leadership to then trickle back down. And so when I think about org design, I think strong leadership is absolutely paramount to building a system um, efficiently and sustainably. And sometimes when we step out into change, it can feel really uncomfortable and not great. And that's often when design and design thinking can come into play to allow leadership, to allow stakeholders who might be sitting below leadership to co-create what that might look like. And often we might start with something like a visioning session before we get down to actual implementation. And so in this visioning world, if you were to ask people from cross sections throughout all areas of an organization, what does your ideal work environment look like? From a communications perspective, from a relational perspective, from feedback, from performance evaluations, from the actual day-to-day -day work itself, what does it look like if you didn't have any constraints and allowing people to think beyond what they think they should say and then being able to distill that and find patterns and themes across the entire organization. What, what is important to our people? And not only will you learn things about ideal organizational structure and communication patterns, but also what people value, why it's important. And I think if you can kind of cross um, tease those out, it will be right time to kind of redevelop your, your organization's values and mission in general. And I think this is pretty essential when it comes to startup scaling and transitioning from true startup mentality to mid-size organization, because ultimately you're not going to be able to keep that same ethos and culture as you scale. You can try, but it's, likely not going to work. So how do you co-create with your people to build an effective organization that is sustainable throughout lots of change and heck, in our current environment, lots of unknown. You know, if you try to predict next week or six months, pretty much across any industry right now, people won't be able to give you a firm answer, but we can create organizational structures that are resilient and adaptable and flexible. I mean, that's amazing. I even stopped taking notes because I, I felt like it was, I was distracted from listening to you. And, and I, you're, you're, you have a perfect way of explaining things. I think it's really clear. Um, you know, I love that you came up with the visioning session. Uh, I, 
I love the fact that you're kind of, you know, you, you, you're kind of hinting, but, you know, in a kind of straightforward way at the fact that, you know, company values and individual values need to be connected, right? Like, so with a, with a visioning session, you kind of want to take individual values out and make them visible and then see how these can match with the organizational values and, and ultimately create this identity that has people in the, at the center of it, right? And, and I think this is, this is what, well, at least on paper, every, every organization should, should strive to do. And, you know, I would talk to you forever, like, and I guess I sense that we might have another, um, another episode with you, you know, featuring, featuring you and your knowledge and, and your, your way of, of seeing things that I think is very interesting. Um, as we approach the end of the, of the episode, like, may I ask you for any recommendation, any specific, I guess, reference, whether, it, whether it's, a, you know, a person or a course or a podcast or a book uh, for anyone who wants to know more about um, you know, design thinking, hopefully with the idea in mind that design thinking can be at the core of uh, a human-to-human connection at work. Love that question. Um, I think from, from a homework assignment perspective, I would love listeners and learners to think from a designing your life perspective, what areas can you, can you rebalance? Can you take a step back and look at your day-to-day world and put it on a sticky note, um, one idea per sticky note, put them all out on a table and, and visually move them around. What areas of your life are taking a lot of your energy and time? What makes you feel tired? put those higher up on your desk and then maybe areas that um, take less energy and time, keep them lower and just visually assess where you're at. And if you feel like your sticky notes are somewhat in a row, maybe that's a good indicator that you feel relatively balanced. And if you feel like things are up and down, I challenge you to, to recreate and redesign what your personal system looks like. Um, I think that the healthiest thing that we can do for ourselves is get really good at saying no and setting boundaries. And um, I think from a personal sustainability perspective, learning how to draw healthy boundaries, um, whether that's with our relationships, our work, uh, is absolutely critical to mental health in the long run. so that I realized that was a total tangent. But as far as resources, I, I jotted a few down so I don't forget them. Um, personal reads that are less organizational design um, oriented, but I found incredibly impactful for my own journey um, have been three books called Braiding Sweetgrass, Untamed, and Women Who Run With Wolves. And I can send you links to those. Um, and then as far as podcasts, I'm sure. A lot of listeners have heard of Brene Brown, um, just an all-around badass lady. Um, but she has a podcast um, called Unlocking Us. And one of the episodes that my best friend and I have thoroughly discussed and debriefed um, is called, uh, the episode is called FFT. Um, and it's expletive first time. And it talks about how we 
when we approach learning environments and learning systems, how we need to be somewhat graceful with ourselves and acknowledge, this is my first time doing this, and I'm gonna give myself somewhat of a pass for whatever it is that I'm about to do because I'm learning. And allowing ourselves to be learners rather than perfectionists is an incredibly powerful piece of design thinking. Right? We're, we're playing, we're learning, we're trying, we're probably failing because it's the first time we've done it, and that's okay but often we don't know how to do that in a safe way because the risk level is so high um, in many corporate organizations. So I think that podcast specifically is incredibly helpful. Um, and then from um, a, a mental health perspective as well, I would highly recommend um, any like mindfulness app like Headspace or Calm, Insights Timer, all of those can be really helpful in um, holding yourself accountable to taking a moment um, for yourself throughout the day. Well, I mean, like I said, like you have just what you, what you mentioned in the last five minutes of this episode could be like a whole, um, I guess, separate podcast episode itself. Um, there's a lot of takeaways. I love the homework concept. I like that. You know, that was one of the most practical advices I've ever heard of. Um, it did involve post-its, right? Like, so, you know, people, people need to use them at some point. Like, they are, they are useful. Um, but, you know, and, and the, the resources you mentioned are incredible. Dora is actually a huge fan of Brene Brown. She was cheering, you know, here behind the couch. She's super happy. Yes. <laughs> um, so I, I know a thing or two about Brene Brown, like, through, through Dora. Um, you know, I honestly, I can thank you enough. Like, it was a lot of fun uh, and i'm not saying this because we're recording a conversation it was actually i think you're you have an amazing way of of explaining things and and you do deserve way more visibility in the field of design thinking um i you know you have a very special way of explaining things i, I love the connection you made uh you know between design thinking and and mental health and uh, ultimately i'm i'm really happy you accepted to support our cause and and you know you were since Second one, like very excited to to work with us, and uh, and this speaks very highly of of yourself. So, thank you for joining Step Zero. Thank you for you know making a difference in the in the field of mental health at work. I think people would want to definitely you know check your check your profile and maybe even get in touch with you. We will put your reference below the podcast episode, of course. Um, hopefully, we'll we'll get to talk to you soon again, and hopefully, you had uh, you had a good time here with us. This was so much fun, very painless. Um, thank you for having me, for asking such good questions and, and for your and Dora's mission um, about mental health awareness in the workplace. It's so critical and um, being able to provide resources for, for people is, is so important and really grateful to be here. So thank you guys. Well, thank you. It's been awesome. And uh, well, we'll speak soon, hopefully. All right. Thanks, Mateo. <laughs> Bye, Dora. Uh -huh.